Well, good morning. How are we doing? Let's pray, shall we? Father God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you, a God of grace, a God of mercy. Thank you that we know forgiveness in you. We thank you that we know new purpose. We thank you, Lord, that you come and cleanse us. You come and free us. You come and release us. Lord, thank you that your purposes are fulfilled uh, through us, that you came to reconcile the whole of mankind, humankind, and we are part of that reconciliation. We thank you that we now know a Father who loves us. We now know a God in heaven who's for us. Uh, we thank you for your, the giving of your Son. We thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. And uh, the, uh, the victory that you won is our victory, Lord. Uh, we are those that are in you. As you defeat death and sin and the enemy, we defeat death, sin and the enemy. We thank you, God, that we stand in those promises. And we know it's true because we know of your life flowing through us. And so, Lord, I pray, would you continue to be with us as we share and look at your word? Lord, would you speak to us? Will you guide us? Would you help us as we grapple with some things together in order that we are changed more to be like you and in order for your son to be made glorified? We are to see things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning to you. Uh, my name is Martin. If I haven't had a chance to say hi to you, uh, it's my uh, privilege to preach uh, the second part of something that we talked about last week. So we're in the process of looking at our DNA, our, what, what defines us as a church and uh, things that God has spoken to us about, things of God that has really, I don't know, impressed upon us. You know, there's, I mean, the Bible's full of a lot of things, yeah? But we've tried to distill those things down into well, what uniquely, as it were, uh, is God calling Woodside, this family, this church to be a part of? Uh, and to really build on what values and culture and those sorts of things. And so we called it our DNA. We're looking at uh, these over eight weeks. This is week number two. Last week, I looked at being full of grace. Those of you were here. And uh, let me read to you from the verse, verses from, uh, chapter, from John, one of the Gospels, uh, that describes Jesus. And this is where we get this phrase, full of grace, but it says more than that, which we're going to touch on today. Let me just read you from John 1, chapter 14. It says these words, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And last week we looked particularly at what it means to be a people that are full of grace. This week we want to look at what it means to be a people that are full of truth. But the only problem about separating these things is they're supposed to be held together. Jesus, I mean, he was remarkable, obviously, but Jesus was able to hold these things in tension. And he was both. He, was, he wasn't sometimes full of grace and sometimes full of truth. He was always full of truth and full of grace. Let me give you an example that illustrates this wonderfully. And there's many that you can pull out from the Bible particularly obviously from the Gospels, when uh, this, this one, which uh, if you've been around church for a while, you may be familiar with, I'm sure you will, it's one where, where there was a woman who was caught having sex with a guy that she wasn't married to. And the Pharisees, the leaders of the day, wanted to make a spectacle of her. They had no interest in this woman. They just wanted to try and use her brokenness to catch Jesus out. It's a horrible story, really. It begins horrible. Uh, it ends glorious, but it begins with, with this poor woman who, yeah, okay, has, has made a mistake, um, but 
you look at how the leaders of the day tried to exploit that for their own good and set Jesus up. But then Jesus came on the scene, and in contrast to the leaders of the day, Jesus took real love and interest in, to, in this woman uh, and treated her as an individual. Uh, he then told her that he didn't condemn her, even though she'd clearly be being caught uh, in the act. And then he goes on to tell her that she should leave her life of sin behind her. See, Jesus was willing to be full of grace, first to love her, to honour her, to accept her, not even to condemn her. But then he said to her in so many words, because he loved her so much, that he said, leave that life. There's a better life for you. And you see this combination throughout the life of Jesus, how he was full of grace, he was full of truth. And he held these things in tension, and that's what we're called to do as we are Christ's body on this earth we are called to be a people that are full of truth and full of grace and we walk with people on a journey in fact we're all walking on a journey aren't we I mean there's no one there's no one I've met yet who's arrived you know we're all grappling with this we're all we're all trusting in God we're all we're all learning on the way and so we walk uh, with people on a journey, even if you know Tim Green, who leads the other side, even Tim isn't the finished work, you know, even Tim Green, I said this when I was with Tim, and they all shouted me down, oh Tim, no, no, okay, so we're all on a journey, aren't we, if you don't know Tim Green, he's a wonderful man, wonderful godly man, but even Tim is on a journey, in fact, uh, I am going to land this in a slightly different place that maybe you would expect, so normally when we talk about truth, we're talking about aligning ourselves with the truth of the word and, and, and holding that intention with being full of grace and accepting and loving and those things. But actually, Tim's going to be speaking on, on being a people of the word in a few weeks' time, a part of our DNA. So what I wanted to do particularly today, to look at being full of truth, yes, but look at being full of truth in the context of how we convey this truth to the world around us. Or look at truth and look at how we grapple with with how we understand truth and how people that we're around, or maybe people, maybe us, the how we think about truth. So it's how we think about truth, but it's about how we convey this truth to others. Let's unpack this a bit together. To get into this, we can say these words. There's a struggle with truth. And there's, if you like, a post-modern challenge. I don't know if you're familiar with. uh, uh, Commentators tend to group uh, generations of people in different ways. And uh, commentators would say, we're now living in a post-modern. There was modernity, which is a very logical thinking system, logical approach, logical worldview. We're now in a post-modern. And there's a a post-modern challenge there's a if you like a post-christian we're no longer christian society our value christian values don't really define us anymore as a society we live we live in a post-modern and post-christian forgive me if you don't like those phrases um and i'm no expert on this field i don't claim to be but i've discovered that it's helpful to get into this and uh understand how other people maybe different from us how they approach truth and how they approach truth about God. Now, of course, we may connect with people that think very similar to us, but increasingly, we will find, because it's the dominant 
worldview around us that our secular society thinks in a particular way. Maybe I'll put it this way. We must understand the struggles people have with truth in order to build bridges into the culture. You see, it's fine for us to say we're full of truth, but how do we take that position of being full of truth? How do we build bridges with the truth that we stand on with the world around us? And one of the leaders in the early church was a master at this. His name was Paul. And if you read the book of Acts in the Bible, which really explains the the years of the early church. And Paul was someone who was sent by God to plant churches in numbers of different towns and cities. And in fact, it's fascinating to see when he landed at different cities and different places that he communicated truth in a different way in one context compared to a different context. Remarkable skill. But he was able to, to take Truth that doesn't change, but land it in a particular way that the people he was trying to convey it to fully understood. One of the greatest examples of this is when he went to Athens in Acts 17. And we see Paul doing three things. He does many things, but three things that I'd like to underline. First, Paul sought to understand the Athenians. He sought to understand the people from Athens, how they thought, how they, how, how they worked through things, what they, where they were on their faith journey. He also identified touching points. What I mean by that is he identified things that they were passionate about and that they believed and how they touched with the gospel of truth that he believed that never changes. He identified touching points. And thirdly, He then communicated truth that doesn't change, truth about Jesus, in a way that they would understand. Let's read some of those verses, just just so you know I'm not making this up. I mean, I could move on, couldn't I? But it's true. So, Acts 17, verse 22. Just look at what Paul does. It's brilliant. Paul then stood up in the meeting of Arabicus. I don't know. How do you say that? Luke, you're clever. Okay, fine. Paul then stood up in the meeting area and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. So he's, he's, he's saying, I see you're very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So, Paul observed they were very religious. He walked around, looked carefully at their objects of worship. He, he, he sought to understand their thinking, their culture, their beliefs. And then he said, I even saw an inscription of a God called the unknown God. Now, you may know this, but, but they believed in many different gods. They worshipped many different gods and idols. But they were concerned that because they believed that there were many gods, they were concerned that they would forget they would miss one of the gods out. So they basically created an inscription, an idol, to worship the god we've probably forgotten about, the unknown god. Now, it's slightly comical, I guess, but that's actually how, what they did to try and ensure that they'd, I guess, had all their options covered. Paul skillfully recognized that and said, I'm going to tell you about the unknown god. Brilliant. He understood the Athenians and how they thought. 
Then he went on to touching points. He began with the unknown God. And he begins to talk about this unknown God can be known. Really? And then he went on to use these phrases, which I've got on your screens in verse 27. He said this, Yet he is actually not far from each of us. Imagine being told the unknown God isn't far. And he said this, For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own prophets have said, we are indeed his offspring. That phrase, in him we live and move and have our being, was from an Athenian prophet, sorry, Athenian poet. And he skillfully saw a touching point and used the poet of the day. It'd be like me quoting song, you know, popular songs of the day and saying, look, this is how you're thinking. But actually, I can touch that with the gospel. So he understood them. He identified touching points. And then lastly, he began to communicate in a way that they understood. Verse 29 says this, Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. So they created many, many sort of figures to represent God's. But you notice the word he used, or the phrase. We ought not to think that the divine being. How many of us use that phrase when we address God? I don't. I don't think you'll find it in any of our worship songs. See, Paul brilliantly used a phrase that they were familiar with. He communicated in a way that they would understand. In fact, if you read the whole section that follows that, he never mentions Jesus at all. What? I thought it was all about Jesus. Paul brilliantly understood, identified touching points, and then communicated truth that doesn't change in a way that they understood. And what Paul modelled is modelled throughout Scripture. That's probably the most helpful and clear uh, example. And so what I'd love to do is look at, well, what about us? How do we understand? How do we identify touching points and how do we communicate truth that doesn't change but truth in a way that others can understand okay now I must confess we're now going to get into a bit of jargon about postmodern and post-christian and then we're going to talk about millennials and this may turn you off I realize but you've got to understand it you've got to have some understanding about how people think around us I mean if I'm honest I don't, I don't like being pigeonholed and being told I think like this. I don't know who does. I remember talking to uh, Dawn and I's daughter, Becky, when she was doing an A-level. She did a, a, a fascinating course. And one of the things they looked at is they looked at art, different art forms and how different art forms spoke to different cultures and, and, and different, different mediums and how uh, art and, and, and culture connect. And it happens all the time in movies and, and TV shows. Uh, and one of the things uh, that she highlights is, you know the film Mamma Mia? Who likes ABBA? Come on, who likes ABBA? See, I've got, this is the third time. There's more people raising their hand to like ABBA in this service than all the other services. I mean, the other services, they, they love ABBA. They just didn't want to admit to it, I think. That was it. But we, we're, we're ABBA and we're proud. And so uh, I, lo- I love ABBA. I'm sorry. It's true. It's true. Um, and, but I watched that movie, and I've got mixed feelings about the movie, and you understand why. Because it, it, it celebrates some things that I don't celebrate. If you know the movie, you'll understand. Um, but 
But, but there's some bits I thought were amazing, and I love the music. Some bits are amazing. Some bits I thought, oh, that really turns me off. And, uh, and I remember talking to Becky, who they, she was, they used that, that movie as one of the examples, and they analysed it and looked at art forms and culture. And they'd come up with... And there are, this is official, there are, six, I think it was six, maybe seven different categories of people that that movie is trying to connect to. And different scenes are designed to connect to different scenes in that movie. So when I said, I, I don't like that scene, Becky, she said, Dad, you're not supposed to. What do you mean I'm not supposed to? She said, that's trying to connect to this type of person, thinking that sort of way. She said, you're, you're more this sort of person. That's when I got pigeonholed. So you're more of a traditional thinker, you know, a little bit set in his ways, uh, and uh, brackets boring, you know. And, and, and she described, and I thought, I don't like to be pigeonholed, but I tell you, you learn about yourself. And actually, I am quite a traditionalist. It's not that surprising, really, is it? I mean, think about it. Um, and so I'm going to try and describe some things. Now, so let's just try and understand the postmodern, post-Christian worldview. And I'm, I'm helped by this guy here, who is brilliant. John Burke wrote this book called, a Christian book called No Perfect People Allowed. Uh, and it's about the church they're building in the States. But his understanding of these things I found so helpful. And uh, it's not just his view on these things. These are broadly recognized. But let's just get and, uh, a little bit, you know... It makes my brain hurt, so let's get into this together. Is that all right? Okay, so John Burke would describe, use these three things to describe postmodern, post-Christian worldview, how people, not all people, but many people today would think, particularly about truth. He says this, History, especially religious history, like in the Bible, was written or selected by the powerful few with a motive of oppressing and controlling the weaker masses. Ouch. Now, interestingly, two weeks ago, my wife Dawn was at work. Dawn's a nurse in Southwind. And she was speaking with a colleague about all sorts of things, including faith and what Dawn believes, and just a, just a general conversation. And suddenly this, this woman said that, well, the reason why I don't, really go to church or I'm not really interested is because as far as I'm concerned it's all about the powerful controlling the weak and it's interesting, Dawn came home and she said, Mark, what do I say to that? and I'm thinking, oh, I don't know, what do you think I know? You know? and I'm thinking, well, I've, I, and then I remembered actually I've heard that before that, that, that view now of course if we start you know, just talking about church and that isn't necessarily going to make people think, yeah. Because if their frame of reference is this, then, okay, we need to understand that. Because we want to be like Paul. Paul understood the context. Uh, and so, uh, yeah. And so, you know, one could say that, that, that the Bible has been written with that biased view, therefore. Because the, 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 there isn't that sense of we believe in this. Second thing that John Burke says, which is really helpful, says this, truth and moral norms evolve out of social context for the purpose of mutual benefit and survival, but they are relative to that context or culture. That means that moral decisions on what's right or wrong from a postmodernist worldview means that you make those decisions now. 
to decide now as a culture what is good and what is not good. And that makes sense to me because that's why we see that the decisions on, on, on huge things, whether it's marriage or whatever it might be, culture today is making those decisions. Their reference point is what's right today in their view, not what is historically right or, or the traditional. I'm a traditionalist, remember. What's the traditional position? He goes on to say this, no truth is absolute from that worldview because no one person or society can know or understand all things. So we come from a place, if you're a Christian, on there is a, an absolute truth. It's Jesus. But the post, this culture, this worldview around us, doesn't think like that. Doesn't think like that. He summarizes it like this. Therefore, this, this is a bit cutting, just pre-warn you. Therefore, arrogance about truth comes from my desire to control and subjugate people. People who think they have the truth are the source of the most religious wars, intolerant acts or hatred and bigotry in the world. Arrogant truth is the greatest evil. So in other words, just by saying we know the truth can sound arrogant from, a, from that worldview. Yeah, I'm not saying it is, but it can sound that. So that's all depressed us. Let's cheer us up a little bit. What about, we'll come back to that in a moment. What about identifying touching points? You see, there are many positives in our culture that are there in order for there to be touching points of the gospel and things that people are passionate about or way people think. Let me just talk about millennials. Millennials are people that were born in the uh, sort of early 1980s. And it's well, well recognized. These are some of the things that are important to them in the way that they think. So millennials, okay? There's millennials in this room. You may agree with me. Hopefully you do. Okay, the first is this. Millennials are globally conscious. They are the most connected generation there's ever been, but they are connected to the world. They think of themselves as being part of humankind. They're globally conscious. Anyone else you know is globally conscious? Jesus, and you and me, we're globally conscious. It's a touching point. We believe, don't we? We believe in a gospel that goes to the ends of the earth. We believe we're part of a people that spans the world. We believe we're to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends. See, we're globally conscious. Secondly, they assume their communities are going to be multi-ethnic. Hey, 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 guess what? We were there first. We believe in one new humanity, one new man in Christ. Every tongue, every tribe, etc., etc. Just look around the room. We have such diversity. We celebrate that. They celebrate it and they pursue it. That's the world they've grown up in. They're part of a worldwide family. Humanity, they would say. So that's a touching point. Thirdly, they are concerned about the whole of society. Millennials are really concerned about the whole of society. They are concerned, in our language, well, we would be concerned about the kingdom of God, the goodness of God impacting everyone's lives. We have something here called uh, Project 41, which is an umbrella term for so much of our activity in in, uh, serving and loving the town of Bedford. 
They're things that they're concerned about, and we're concerned about that. In fact, in fact we, we partner with many other organizations, you know, non-Christian organizations in the town doing good stuff. We partner with them because we, we've got common grounds together. And fourthly, another touching point, this is huge. They are hungry for spiritual things. They are hungry for spiritual things. You see, we may need to understand the way they think, but actually we can be reassured that they're globally conscious. They assume community to be multi-ethnic and they pursue it. They're concerned about the whole of society, so are we, and they're hungry for spiritual things. So we've identified some touching points. There may be some more. We've said it's important to understand. Well, what about how do we communicate? How do you communicate truth to a, a, a way of thinking that doesn't even agree there's absolute truth. It's difficult, isn't it? What does, I mean, Dawn and I have talked about this on the journeys backwards and forwards. What do we say to Dawn's colleague who says, actually, I just think organized religion is about controlling the weak? What do we say to, how do we help people to see the truth in Jesus? I think we can. Thirdly, how do we communicate truth in a way that people can understand? The first point would be, and I think, to be honest, I think it's the most important. Uh, be the most important thing I say all year. There you go. Maybe not. Okay, overstating it. But I think it's really important. People need to experience truth before you explain it. People need to experience truth. It's not that they, they cannot come to a place of faith. It's not even that they don't apply logic. So, so modernity was all about logic and proof and evidence. In a post-modernity world, it's about experience. But that doesn't mean that there isn't logic that we, we go into, that they do want to process logic, but they begin with experience. See, what people are saying is, I want to belong to a community before I ascribe to what that community believes. I want to belong to the community. I want to get a good look at it, I want to see it, I want to touch it, I want to taste it, I want to see if it works. I want to see if what we profess to believe, we really believe, a God who changes our lives, a God who's with us every day. They want to see it. In many respects, there's there's an authenticity about that. They want to experience truth. And people need that before we explain it. Whereas in a modernity world, you explain it first because it comes logic first and then experience. Does that make sense? And that's why you belong, believe, be transformed, <laughs> or behave, or whatever you want to call it. Because we create this... <laughs> was I slightly... <laughs> because I believe... I, 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 this, we're trying to connect how we build church today with a world that's changed. And so we have people in this room today, people in all three meetings, people that come throughout the week to many different activities that would say Woodside is their church. They're not believers. Their lives aren't yet in a place where one day they might be. But actually they belong. And while they're a part of this environment, this family, they experience truth. They experience truth in my life, in your life. They experience truth in being part of community. It's a beautiful thing. There's many stories. You've probably got your own stories. I heard only this week of someone who's become a Christian in our family, uh, Woodside family, uh, and uh, but they've been with us for months. There's a belonging. 
And then it's almost like, oh, they've just got saved. I don't know when it happened, but it happened. But it happened as part of a process. Many people process truth in community. That's why we do what we do. That's why we try and be uh, not just churched amongst the people, but the people amongst the church. You know, this sort of, you can't really tell who's who. That's what we, that's what we want. <laughs> Other ways that we can help people to experience, uh, just practically experience truth, is through prayer. There's an openness for spiritual things. I encourage us to pray for our friends, to, to pray for those that we, we, we work with. I, I really believe there's an openness to spiritual things around us. And it's another way that people can experience truth, almost experience the resurrection power, resurrection power of Jesus at work before they believe it, you know? That type of thing. Secondly, good clock, we're doing all right. Two more things. Secondly, we must therefore be humble with truth. We believe this stuff, don't we? We believe Jesus is truth. I mean, don't, don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. But a postmodern people, to use a quote from John Burke, grow up with the assumption that what's true, is, is, what's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. And what really matters is, is that we respect each other with our differences. See, if there's any sense of we've got the truth tone in what we communicate we lose people we lose people you can have in fact there's an amazing story in, in, in John Burke's book where he describes watching a, a brilliant apologetic speaker who had a, 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 one of those debates with an atheist and he writes about how the, the apologetic speaker completely wipes the floor with the atheist because let's be honest our faith stacks up you know you know, it, it, it's, it's got good evidence, you know, it's not, it's not emotional. But, and so, but he floored him. But people observing, even though he won the argument, people weren't won by that. It, it, so you can, you can, you know, you, you can win the battle but lose the war. You can, you can, you can win a conversation but lose people. See, often people aren't really asking, is it true? They're asking, do I want to be like you? And if we're presenting something, I think, well, it makes some truth, but I don't want to be like that. It, 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 we lose all credence. And so we must be really humble and realize that people are asking not just what is true, it's just, do I want to be like you? And thirdly, finally, just to bring these things together, we must connect truth with their concerns and their passions, recognize the touching points, globally conscious, they assume communities are going to be multi-ethnic, so do we. They're concerned about the whole, whole of justice and the whole of society, so are we. And they're hungry for spiritual things. See, when we connect with their hunger for spiritual things, and of course there is a point for explaining, and I'm not saying we don't explain, but we point people not to anything abstract. We point people to Jesus. He is the truth. In the end, it's relationship with him is what they need in their lives. So I pray that as we become a community which is full of grace, we do also have a, become a community that's full of truth. We hold those things in tension, but actually we learn how to convey truth in a way that people can understand. Amen? Let's stand together, shall we? Let's pray.
Lord God, I thank you so much that you have revealed truth to so many of us in this room. I thank you, Lord, that we can uh, say that we know you, Jesus. We know you in our lives. We believe that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, we thank you that you have transformed our lives. Uh, But Lord, I pray for us, and I pray you would help us to be this people that is full of grace, yes, but also full of truth. But communicating and sharing a truth in a way that those who may be different to us can really understand. Lord, I realize that there are those that maybe think exactly like the way we think. There may be, there's still some traditionists out there, I know. But Lord, uh, we want to uh, ensure that we are like Paul, who understood his context, understood our town, understood his country. Lord, that we identify touching points. Areas where we see common ground. And Lord, I pray you would really help us to communicate truth in the way that everyone can understand it. Lord, that we would be a place where people can experience it. Experience a God who's alive. Experience a God who's at work in our lives. Lord, we pray that we would be friends with those that are far from you. That we would bring them into the community. That we would connect with their lives. That we would love them just where they are and just how they are. And Lord, through that story and our stories, that we would walk on a journey with them and we would see many people discover you as the true God, as the one that has come to save them. Lord, we pray for our town. We pray for our nation. We pray would you move mightily and we pray use us to be tools in all of your purposes. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.